My name is Keith Beavers, and I'm on a mission to create an official name for sparkling American wine. American Sparklers. You know, July 4th, fireworks, sparklers. Somebody help me out. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Fine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Fine Pair. Vine Pair Keith on Insta. And how are you? How are you? You good? How are you? So champagne is champagne, right? But there's so much more sparkling wine in the world that's not champagne. Actually, there's a lot of sparkling wine in France that's not champagne. And that is what we're talking about today. France. Did you know America's most loved sparkling wine comes in pink thanks to a touch of Pinot Noir? La Marca Prosecco Rosé, our blushing sponsor, bursts with lively bubbles while offering notes of wild strawberry, honeysuckle, and pear. I mean, it doesn't get any more blush-worthy than that. To try La Marca Prosecco Rosé and other sparkling wine we talk about on this podcast, follow the link in the episode description to BarrelRoom.com. So, okay guys... We all know that champagne's got that cachet, am I right? And at some point in this podcast, I'm going to do a whole history on champagne. It's a very interesting story. And it's created something, you know? The, the, the champagne region was not always sparkling wine, but it, it figured, you know, some things happened, and it became the thing they did, and they created a industry out of it that is just the most massive sparkling wine ad campaign ever done. And because of that, and there's things that happened in the United States right before the Civil War, where uh, some champagne people came to New York to introduce it to everybody, and it just the story just kind of goes from there. It's a really awesome story, and one day I'd love to tell it. The thing about champagne on our market and our mindset as Americans is it's celebratory. Um you pop the cork out or you saber the cork. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's not really the wine you buy for a meal. Now, champagne winemakers really want that to be a thing. But when a bottle of wine that's non-vintage and sparkling from champagne starts at $35 or $50, it's not really always the place or the wine for a weeknight or even a weekend meal. And that's not to say that champagne isn't a special place. I mean, what they've created in champagne with what they have there is an amazing feat in a very special wine from a very special place. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, I do an overview, I think it's in season one or season two of champagne. So go ahead and get a listen to that. And someday I get, like I said, I'll go into, I'll get deeper at some point, but because of champagne's popularity, there are people that may not know that there are other sparkling wines being made in France. I mean, as we've, as I talked about in the sparkling wine episode in season one, Sparkling wine is a natural thing that's been happening for a very, very long time by accident. But as it was harnessed, there are places in France that have been doing this stuff traditionally, maybe not like ancient or even Middle Ages, maybe even like the 19th century, but for a long time with their own varieties of grapes and their own terroir and their own style of making said sparkling wine. And when I say style... Primarily, I'm talking about the what is now known as the traditional method or the second fermentation in bottle. 
The thing is, it was once called the method champenoise or the champagne method because champagne was so popular. Like I said, it, ha- it was like, we're the ones that do this. But other places in France were like, we make wine the same way. So, like, why is it called the champenoise method when we make it the same way? Well, for a long time, outside of the Champagne region, a lot of wines that were sparkling and made in the traditional method, the same way Champagne is made, because the Champenoise method is now called the traditional method, which is the second fermentation in a bottle, often wines, not often, generally, wines that were sparkling outside of Champagne were, had the word Mousseau attached to them. Mousseau or, or mousse, like a softer, creamy, bubbly drink. And a lot of these wines are being made in climates that are a little bit or a lot warmer than champagne. So scientifically, and I'll get into this, the atmospheres of pressure in these wines were less than the atmospheres of pressure in a champagne. So the resulting wine was a little softer. And speaking of softer, in the 1970s, well, before the 1970s, there were two areas in France that started going away from the Mousseau word and had a new word attached to their sparkling wines. And it was specifically in the Loire Valley, sort of the middle of the Loire. An appellation called Vouvray and an appellation called Saumur. It's a little bit complicated, and Vouvray does still use the Mousseau word for some of their wines, but in general, these two areas were calling their sparkling wines Cremant or Cremant, which means creamy. So we went away from the mousse idea to the creamy idea, which kind of makes a little bit more sense. So they started calling their wines Cremant du Semour and Cremant du Vouvray. This caught on, and somewhere in the mid-1970s, the term Cremant du Loire was born. In the 80s, the region of Alsace and Burgundy, they went ahead and adopted the Cremant as well. So Cremont d'Alsace and Cremont de Bourgogne. And then in 1990, to give you a sense of how popular this thing was getting, Bordeaux created their own Cremont de Bordeaux. And then Limoux, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Limoux, Cremont de Limoux in the Languedoc in the southern part of France created theirs as well. And then after that, a little area in the Rhone called D, D-I-E, was created in 1993. There's a really small appellation over towards the Swiss border called Jura and the Jura Mountains. I mentioned that in the Burgundy episode that came on board in 95. And then even further close to the Swiss border, Savoie became a Cremant in 2014. And those three are very small and fairly new, and I'll, I'll touch on those. But the first tranche, all the way up until 1990, those are the wines we're primarily going to see on our market. So let's go into these different Cremant and understand them. So when you're out there in the wine shops, you can grab them with confidence, straight up. So Cremant is a word used to describe sparkling wines outside of Champagne in the country of France. And the main regions you're going to see Cremant on the American market will be, like I said, Alsace, Cremant d'Alsace. In Burgundy, Cremant de Bourgogne. In Loire, Cremant de Loire. And in Limoux, Cremant de Limoux, or Blanquette de Limoux. We'll get into that in a second. 
Now, although these wines are made with different varieties in different terroirs, different geographies, there's a general, there are a short list of general rules that have to be followed so that this thing can be consistent throughout France. It's not really intense so much. It's just about whole bunch pressing. There's maximum yields so that the quality can be maintained. There's um, a maximum uh, sulfur additions so that, you know, uh, so quality can be maintained. And there's a minimum of 12 months between bottle and release. And all these numbers and limitations and stuff is just a nice general list of rules that you can still play around with and winemakers can still be creative in within, you know, European, Europe has a lot of rules. Also, something to think about here is I said that the climates are different than Champagne. That's why sometimes the atmosphere pressures are a little bit whatever. These are cool climates, but they're cool climates within the places in which in France in which they are. Like one of them is actually in southern France, but because it's in a high elevation area near the Pyrenees, it's a cool climate. So you gotta you kind of get a sense of how sparkling wine works in France. We talk about that in the sparkling wine episode. So I'm just gonna quickly say that that high acid thing, trying to harvest varieties at the, at the at a high acid is easy easier to do in these areas even in burgundy okay let's get into it alsace is a border region between france and germany and there's a whole story there it's gone back and forth it was once germany then it was france it was germany now it's france um but for the wine situation there's been wine being made there for quite some time but as far as sparkling wine is concerned that didn't really happen until the 19th century now i'm sure there was sparkling wine being made there before the 19th century, but the 19th century is when documentation really kind of picks up. But I will say that Alsace got the memo in the 80s when the Cremant thing was being was very popular. And the wines of Alsace are nice, high, a lot of them are high acid whites. So it makes sense to make sparkling wine from these varieties. And it became a very important commercial style of wine in the wine industry of Alsace in the 1980s. And it got to the point where sparkling wine was actually a quarter of the production of wine in Alsace. And basically, all the varieties that exist in Alsace are allowed in the sparkling wine. Pinot Blanc, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, Riesling, a very an interesting grape you may have never heard of called Auxoua. It's from a family of grape called Auxerre, which from the, it was from the little town called Auxerre near Chablis when Charlemagne was doing his thing. And actually, if you're making all rosé sparkling wine in Alsace, it must be 100% Pinot Noir. But the majority of the sparkling wines that come out of Alsace are from Pinot Gris. It's a very popular wine. You're gonna, if you're going into a wine shop and you go to the Alsace section, you're going to see a lot of Pinot Gris and you're going to see a lot of sparkling Pinot Gris. But they can also blend it. They can get creative with it. All the varieties are available. The, the one thing that's uniform, not uniform, but the one thing that's consistent of these wines is they're very soft. They have low atmospheric pressure, probably like around two, where a normal champagne is like between four, five, six. They're soft. They're clean. Sometimes they're a little bit sweet. They're light in body, often with a nice fine mousse as it bubbles up to the top. They're almost kind of elegant and light. So if you're looking for a live <laughs> sparkling wine, Alsace would be the way to go. In Burgundy, this is one of those places that at one time they were calling their sparkling wine uh, Bourgogne Mousseau. 
there's that mousseau, that mousse, that you know, the frothiness at the top of a wine glass from sparkling wine, the softness of the body of the wine. It's kind of what they were going for. And then in 1975, the year of my birth, they said, you know what? We're going to go with the whole Cremont thing as well. Cremont de Bourgogne. And what's really trippy is they kept the Bourgogne Mousseau term, but they reserved that for red sparkling wine. Red sparkling wine in Burgundy. I have never had it. I want it. DM me, please. Vine Pear Keith, I need to know. And just like in Alsace, all the varieties in Burgundy are available to the winemakers to make in sparkling wine they call Cremant de Bourgogne. Now, that's pretty much going to be Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and there might be some Alagote sometimes. There might be some Gamay sometimes. Actually, speaking of Gamay, if you listen to the Burgundy episode, you'll notice that all the way back in the day, the Gamay grape was not hated, but it was like there's an anti-Gamay grape campaign been going on for a long time in Burgundy. And it's just so funny that in the rules for Cremant de Bourgogne, Gamay may not constitute constitute more than one-fifth of the blend. It's still going. Gamay's great, guys. And most of the Cremant de Bourgogne in Burgundy is made in the Côte de Chalonnais, which is the area just above the Maconnais, where Macon is made. Again, go to the Burgundy episode and check all that out for all this stuff. But there's a little uh, village, little, there's a village in the Côte de Chalonnais, Côte, Côte Chalonnais called Rui, R-U-L-L-Y, and that is a major hub for Cremant de Bourgogne. Also, all the way up north near the Chablis region, I was talking about Charlemagne back in the day. There's a town called Auxerre, and in that town, they also make Cremant de Bourgogne. And what's really cool about this is the majority of it that's made in Rui because it's the southern part of Burgundy, they're a little bit softer, creamier. Cremont means cream, so that makes sense. And the ones that are made up north, we don't see as much of them on the American market, but they're around. They're a little more crisp and clean. Clean. Angular. Sharp. You know what I mean? I have to say right here, I absolutely love Cremont de Bourgogne. I think it's one of the most hidden treasures what is it it is a hidden treasure in wine shops the price is always right it's like $25 this is pinot noir and chardonnay blended or one of the other they do blanc de blanc as well if it's 100% chardonnay cremant de bourgogne is wonderful stuff and it's often very affordable and that is my weeknight bubbly i'm for real all the way down in southern france in the languedoc languedoc roussillon in the hills of southern France that will eventually lead up going west to the Pyrenees. There is a town called Limoux. L-I-M-O-U-X. And this is a very famous town when it comes to sparkling wine. Because the winemakers and the people of Limoux believe they were the first sparkling winemakers or at least they were the ones that figured it out first, or they at least were the ones that harnessed it the best. And there's a story that's not true of Dom Perignon, the monk from Champagne, coming down and seeing what's going on in Limoux and going back up and copying it. That's not necessarily the case. It's a little more complicated than that. Again, one day we'll talk about Champagne. I'll do a deep dive into the story. 
but there is a mad pride here in Limou. And for a long time, they made what was called Blanquette de Limou, de Limou, which is the white of the town of Limou. And it was often a wine made from a grape called Mozac, M-A-U-Z-A-C. It's a fun little aromatic varietal, and you can get some depth out of it. You can get some stuff out of it. The thing is, they used this variety for so long in doing this sort of natural fermentation thing. They were in a place at the altitude of the elevation in which they were that sparkling wine kind of made itself before modern technology. The whole idea of how sparkling wine was made in the first place is that before modern technology, yeast was still in the bottle at bottling. Winter happens, spring comes, yeast wake up, they eat the sugars left, they create carbon dioxide in the bottle. That's kind of how it began. And in Limu, that's kind of their history of drinking wines like that. And really what we're talking about here is Petillant Natural or Pet Nat, which again, I have a whole episode on that. I'm not going to get farther into it. But the thing about Limu is that grape mosaic has, I don't want to say unfortunately because it's their thing is what they did. They've relegated the mosaic grape to a smaller percentage in the blends of their sparkling wines, their Cremant de Limou. So where once these wines were primarily mosaic, they now have to be between 60 and 90% Chardonnay or Chenin Blanc, which gives a little more depth to a sparkling wine. Mosaic and Pinot Noir can also be used in these sparkling white wines, but by no more than 40%. And even there, the Mosaic can't max out beyond 20%. And I know all those percentage, I, I usually don't go full into percentages like that because it's a little confusing and it's just like, whatever, right? But the thing is, the reason why I'm saying that is like the Mosaic grape did, did what it did for a very long time, but these winemakers just realized they, they were at high elevations and they know that these varieties thrive, can thrive based on their soils and how high up they are. So these varieties were eventually, I think, thoroughly brought in to the region, tested, and then it was like, oh, okay, these work. This is great. So they amended everything because of that. Wine regions do it all the time. Burgundy used to be Gamay, damn. The thing about Limu is you're going to see a lot of it because it's the majority of wines being made into Cremant de Limu or Blanquette de Limu is from cooperatives. There are like 300 plus growers or more utilizing cooperatives to make wines that will eventually come to the United States. There's nothing wrong with cooperatives. Actually, cooperatives are awesome when a vine grower would rather put all of his or her money into the agriculture and not into the actual viniculture then they're spending all their time in the, in the vineyard and making sure those are awesome varieties. So I guess what I'm saying is co-ops are awesome, but also co-ops, when, when wine is made in these facilities, by the time it gets to our market, even through the three-tier system, they're often very, very affordable. Blanquette de Limou, Cremant de Limou, these wines, I mean, we'll start, I mean, honestly, we'll start at 10 then they'll go up to like 20, 25. Sometimes if they go into like 30 or 40, we're getting really special. But these are awesome, refreshing, 
French sparkling wines for weeknights because they're very affordable. They have nice character. Ah, I love them. I used to sell them in my wine shop. I love them. And then we have Cremant de Loire, where it all began, right? And here you can basically use, they, they use most of the grapes from this middle part of the Loire Valley. Um, they don't use Sauvignon Blanc. They still don't think Sauvignon Blanc has what it takes to be part of this whole sparkling wine thing. But you'll often see wines that are sparkling made from Chenin Blanc and also Cab Franc. It is, I must say, sparkling Cab Franc Rosé from Cremant de Samour is so wonderful. It's fat and juicy for a, <laughs> for a sparkling wine, but it has this like nice, like clean acidity thing running through. A little bit of that pyrazine from the Cab Franc is there. It's just really, really awesome stuff. Then you have Cremant du Vouvray, and that's a little complicated, but Chenin Blanc is what they use. That is, that, that is their variety, and they make Chenin Blanc into sparkling wine in different ways. And if you want to get into like the, the deets of that, check out my Pet Nat episode. And basically, that's what you're going to see on the American market. Now, there are these newer Cremant appellations. There is Jura, Savoie, which is actually 2014. Uh, the Jura was 1995, and then there's Cremant du Bordeaux, which, along with Limoux, became a Cremant. But for our purposes on the American market, Bordeaux Cremant du Bordeaux is kind of ill-defined. Um, there's really no, not a lot of like heavy rules set with it. There's only a few of them on the American market. They're really cool. They're a little bit, you know, they're easy drinking. They're not that expensive. That is changing, though. There's a new generation of winemakers that are going to kind of concentrate on this particular category. I'm pretty excited to see what the future holds for this Cremol. The Jura, which is a very small wine appellation to the east of Burgundy, bordered on the west by Switzerland, and it's right, it's tucked into the Jura Mountains. This area became a Cremol in 1995 and very quickly became a dominant sparkling wine region and today more than 25 percent of the production of the Jura is sparkling this is a region that's very famous for a particular wine called Van Jean which means yellow wine can't get into it but it's on it's it's a very unique wine that is aged on a specific kind of yeast called floor and it's that's how kind of how it's known but now it's very well known for its sparkling wines. You're not going to see a lot of them on the American market because it's so small. It doesn't produce as much. But they play with grapes, by the, like a grape called Plussard, a grape called Trousseau, a grape called Sauvignon. They also have Chardonnay there. And they make very unique, very interesting sparkling wines with those varieties. They even have Pinot Noir there. And they have their own limitations and formulas for percentages of varieties in blends. But we're going to start seeing more Jura, I'm pretty sure, on the market in the coming years. The last two I want to touch on, just because I want to get them all in here for you, and we're not going to see a lot of them on the American market, but at some point we might. So the first one is in the Eastern Rhone. It's called Cremant de Die, D-I-E. And like Vouvray and Limoux, it's a wine region that had a sparkling wine there for a while, for a long time, and it was in that Mousseau style, meaning that it was very soft, had very low alcohol, like a pet nat, especially a pet nat, petillant naturel. Again, listen to the episode. 
they still do make this old school wine, but they, and they call it Claret de D Tradition, tradition. But the Cremant de D, and D, D-I-E, is the town this all is centered around in the Eastern Rhone, is made up exclusively from the Claret variety. It's a white wine variety in this part of France. It's very interesting that Cremant de D is made up of only Claret, but Claret de D Tradition is only about 25% of Claret. The rest is made up of a variety we've, I've talked about before, Muscat Blanc à Petit Grand. And last but not least, a very small little appellation called Savoie, also towards the Swiss border. It only became a Cremant in 2014, so we're not really, we're just now starting to see wines on the American Cremant market from them. And it's another unique place where they have grapes you may not have heard of. They have a grape called Jacquer and a grape called Altesse, a grape called Chislas, Alagote. Oh, and Chardonnay. <laughs> but they're often going to be a blend of Jacquer and Altesse. You don't, they're, they're wildly different from winemaker to winemaker. So you'll have to check them out and see for yourself. Okay, so I went a little long here, but I want to get it all in. I wanted you to know the ones that are already here and have been here, and I wanted you to kind of get a sense of the ones that are on their way or a little bit here. There's a smattering of the new ones, but this is sparkling wine in France. It's not just champagne. Again, not saying anything about champagne, but that there's so much out there to try. I mean, you could have an entire lineup in your home of sparkling wines from France at different price points for different meals and different events. It's kind of amazing. So that's sparkling wine in France outside of Champagne, wine lovers. I hope this really helped you out so when you're out there in the wine shops and on the wine lists, you have command of this stuff. You guys are awesome. Let's talk next week. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pear's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.